Wow. <laughs> we weren't even halfway through our first day of high school, and there we were, sitting outside the principal's office. At the time, I thought it had to be a new world record. And I gotta tell you, that seat was like sitting on something carved out of stone. As I squirmed uncomfortably, now he sat there with this annoyingly calm expression, staring at a poster of happy high schoolers learning in various classrooms. I'd seen that calm expression before. When we were seven, Chima found me trying to stow away in Naoi's suitcase before she left for New Nubia one summer. When she opened up that suitcase and eyed me, I'm not ashamed to say that I started bawling instantly. And by the way, if you saw that look, wouldn't have mattered what age you were, you'd have been crying your eyes out too. But not Naoi. She didn't do tears. On the outside, anyway. Naoi looked down at my fingers, whispered, What you felt, that beetle, it was a piece of oak. There were burns on the tip of my first and middle fingers. The school nurse had dabbed some kind of cream and wrapped them. The burns would fade over time, but would always be visible. The ladies dig scars, so I didn't mind. I looked around. There were people working in the backdrop, typing on computers and answering calls. If Naoi whipped out her phone and snuck a quick text to Jima, I'm certain that no one would have seen it. Obviously, Jima had to be told about what happened as quickly as possible. But when I whispered this to Naoi, she just looked at me, head tilted ever so slightly to the side. <sighs> I hated that look. Always made me feel about an inch tall. Apparently, Jima didn't do texting, and neither did the tribe. No cell phones? I couldn't see how that was possible, but there was another way to reach her, and it was through Naoi's staff. But that particular network was for emergencies only. Of course, if this didn't constitute an emergency, I'm not exactly sure what would. The other thing to consider was that Aja would have to be fully extended, and at the moment, in her present form, Naoi's weapon was a twig. That was an easy fix. All Naoi had to do was say, Awake! Which was followed by a full-on thunderclap. But that, of course, would more than likely draw attention. We'd have to find some place hidden away. Then we heard the sharp crackle of a two-way radio. Officer Dudden was leading a kid head down and sat him a few seats away. As he did this, he eyed us both. He'd be another factor in the equation. The chocolate milk incident meant that he'd be keeping a close eye on us. I looked down at Naoi's stomach and asked her for the fourth or maybe fifth time that day if she was all right. I knew she was annoyed by this because she roughly brushed her hands through her woolly hair and sighed, which is what she always did when she was really annoyed. I couldn't help it though. I was worried. I mean, what had that beetle done to her? She kept saying she felt fine, but she had been frozen as it scanned her? Who knows what it did? 
the door to the principal's office opened and we were finally called in. Back at Naoi's house, Chima was on one knee, resting a hand against the basement door. The glow behind it was stronger than before and pulsated steadily. Safina watched quietly from the living room, careful to keep her distance. She knew that this was the way Jima communicated with the goddess of creation, and it was sacred. She stayed as still as possible and was even conscious of the sound of her breath. Then she carefully sat down and was instantly joined by Anubis, the pharaoh hound, who rested his weary head on Safina's lap. Knowing Jima, Safina figured she'd probably had the dog go through the house 50 times. Poor thing, was completely exhausted. The glow behind the basement door dimmed and Jima stood up slowly. These sessions tired Jima out and she'd need time to recover. As Jima approached, her walking stick steadying her tired legs, Safina quickly began going over the timings in her head. Jima was going to drill her on how much time it took for Fatima, the prison, to respond, and if it didn't fit her demanding standards, then she'd have Safina go back and do it all over again. A few years back, when Safina reported a practice drill time that was literally a tenth of a second off, Jima demanded that she repeat the drill ten more times, and each time had to be perfect. Before Jima could open her mouth, every symbol on her walking stick glowed red. The sound of a powerful wind was emanating from it as if it were suddenly a speaker. Jima held the tip up to her mouth. Asha, can you hear me? Asha. But there was no response. Of course, Jima didn't need a response to know what was happening. She needed to get to Asha as quickly as possible, and the only way to do that was through a portal. Safina knew this as well, but also knew that traveling like this took a special kind of stomach one that Safina had developed in order to reach the prison, but that most of the tribe, including Jima, had not. Jima would be sick for weeks after this journey, but she didn't have a choice. She had to go now. She ordered Safina to remain at the house to guard the basement door and told her to open the portal. Safina reached into her shirt and pulled out a necklace with an ankh attached to it. For those that don't know, an ankh is that cool-looking Egyptian symbol that's like a cross with a loop at the top. Safina touched it lightly with her fingertips and sparks of electricity crackled just in front of Jima. A hole in space materialized at the center of those sparks and Jima shut her eyes, took a deep breath, and stepped through. In that same moment, near the entrance to Nunubia, the tornadoes that surrounded Asha merged and expanded. She was now in its eye. She turned slowly, her fist balled 
her wooden ring crackling with energy. As she turned, her eyes continuously scanned for that ancient jar. If only she could get a hold of it. Then the hairs on the back of her neck suddenly stood up and that ache, the one she always got in the pit of her stomach when Ak was close, was now so painful she wanted to cry out. Asha spun around and saw a giant mass of darkness shoot out of the tornado at her like a missile. She ducked, crouching down as small as she could and felt whatever it was swoop past her inches above her head. She spun around again and saw that the mass had landed perfectly on powerful dark paws. Every inch of it was pure muscle and its fiery red eyes easily pierced the black sands swirling around it. This piece of auk looked like a giant panther, but to Asha it didn't matter what form he took. The eyes were always the same. The giant panther tensed up, ready to pounce. Asha backed off, but balled her fist tight. The glow in her ring swelled. Then the panther lunged, and Asha stepped up and threw a fierce right hook, punching it in the jaw and knocking it back on its hind legs. It shook its head, stunned. Asha was no warrior, but she could definitely take care of herself. The panther suddenly morphed into a cyclone and drilled into the sand. Gone in a split second, but where? Asha kept scanning the ground. It could be anywhere. Then the sand collapsed beneath her feet. A sinkhole had drained the sand and she fell inside. Darkness was all around her, the sand pouring in over her head. She was drowning. Gathering whatever strength she had left, she made a final push, throwing her hands up, grasping for anything to hold on to. But her hands, they slipped through the sand, and just as the night sky above disappeared, another hand snatched hers and held on to it with a vice-like grip. The moment Asha felt those calluses, worn and ancient, against her palm, she knew who it was. Jima's powerful hand began pulling her up. Back at school, we just finished our meeting with the principal. I'll save you the gory details, but I will say that Miss Gardena, or should I say Principal Gardena, was actually pretty nice. I was pleasantly surprised, but Naoi being Naoi, well, she was creeped out. She thought the principal smiled way too much, and the pictures on the wall, more happy kids learning in class, playing football, marching in a band. What were they all so happy about? Creepy. So, our sentence, an hour's detention with the vice principal. Not the harshest I've ever received. The lunch bell rang. Hallelujah. Our last hour of freedom, and we had to make it count. The plan was to split up. I'd go to grab some grub, while Naoi, with the help of my navigation app, searched for some place to activate Aja. But as we headed out of a packed hall, we saw Officer Dutton chatting with the whistler, Mr. Abernathy, near his classroom. 
didn't have on cop shades, so the lenses were like mirrors and even though we couldn't see his eyes, we knew he was watching us. If we split up at that moment, he might just as easily decide to follow Naoi instead of me. I'd have to distract him, but how? As Naoi and I stood in line for food, I tried to think of the best distraction possible. I could do my warrior routine in the middle of the quad and throw in some really loud noises. Yeah! 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 I'd look like an idiot, of course, but it might just buy her enough time. Then I thought, too obvious. Dutton was kind of a doofy. That is, a doofus plus goofy, but I had a feeling he'd see right through it. No, it had to be something else. Maybe. I looked at Naoi and whispered for her to get ready. I remembered this experiment I read about online and decided to see if it might actually work. I took a deep breath, stepped out of line, then simply looked up into the air and pointed toward the sky. After about 30 seconds, others started looking up. A few asked me what I was looking at, and I responded, You don't see it? Then Officer Dudden marched toward me, head up in the air, and steam coming out of his ears. He wasn't happy. Naoi took off. From what she later told me, my app guided her to every nook and cranny of that school, including janitorial closets, empty classrooms that were locked, and a boys' bathroom that was no longer in use. The places seemed private enough, but just before she'd say awake, she sensed that someone was close by, even though she couldn't see anyone. Paranoid? Not Naoi. Her instincts had always been excellent, and she trusted them. Somebody was following her, but they were just out of the reach of her eyes. After peeking into a broom closet that was just too small, she walked out of a hall and noticed another hall that she'd never seen. The weird thing was that this particular hall didn't show up on the app, and I can promise you that this was extremely unlikely as I'd been very thorough. She said it was hall C-33, and the first thing she noted was that there seemed to be something wrong with the fluorescent lighting inside. It was flickering. She put her hand in her pocket where Aja was, looked around, and carefully entered. Once inside, the light suddenly stopped flickering and cut on. Around her were lockers and classrooms. The hall wasn't as wide or large as the others, but there seemed to be nothing else too unusual. Curious, she took a peek through one of the tiny windows of a classroom, and it was pitch black. Then she tried the door, locked. She peeked through the other classroom windows and saw the same thing. Why was it so dark? There was no time to figure it out. This felt like the right place. She carefully removed Aja from her pocket, looked around, and said, Awake! Once the staff was fully extended, she touched the tiny lightning symbol near its tip and spoke, 
asking if Jima could hear her, and the response was a blast of sound so loud that it rattled the lockers and doors. There was no mistaking that sound. Ok had obviously returned for round two, and from the intensity of it, it sounded like Jima, the greatest warrior to ever walk the earth, might just be in trouble. Of course, Naoi had no idea that Jima had left the house and was, at that very moment, back to back with Asha in the eye of a tornado composed of dark sand. Jima could barely stand and Asha had a good idea why. The sick to her stomach expression she saw on Jima's face as she pulled her from that sinkhole meant that she'd gone through the portal and wasn't going to be at full strength. The others in New Nubia wouldn't be able to help either. When Jima had first arrived, she sealed that entrance as was protocol. She couldn't afford to allow a piece of Ock to get inside there, so they'd have to face Ock alone. They both rotated slowly, scanning every inch of that tornado, searching. The attack could come from any direction at any moment. Jima stumbled several times and each time Asha caught her, she shrugged her off. This was typical Jima and there was some part of Asha in that moment that beamed with pride. Even then, with every inch of Jima's being wanting to simply collapse on the sand, she stood with her as she'd done for thousands of years without fail. This was why every member of the tribe despite her imperfections, loved her and was fiercely loyal to her. Then, the tornado faded and slowly evaporated. Asha could see Har circling overhead. She extended her ring toward the falcon and it was absorbed back into it. Jima wanted to return as quickly as possible. She feared that this attack was a distraction to get Jima away from the goddess. They'd travel by lightning this time, and that was thankfully going to be easier on Jima's stomach. The bell rang as Naoi quickly exited Hall 33. Her mind was spinning a million miles an hour. Had Ak already beaten Jima? If so, had he reached Wusa? She had to get home, and if Officer Dudden tried to stop her, she'd do what she had to do. She was so swept up in her thoughts that she literally ran into someone. Oh, it was old, dented cheeks, and who knows what he was doing out there at that moment. Probably the creeper that she could sense following her. O looked her over and asked if she was okay, his hand on her shoulder. For a few moments, the urgency that filled her slipped away, and the only thought that occupied her mind was the feeling of his hand. Ugh. Then she came to her senses and told him she had to go. Side note, he had absolutely no right to put his hands on her. Meanwhile, the crowd that had gathered to see what I was looking at had long since broken up, and Dutton, who'd searched his brain for any school rule that I might have broken, was unable to find anything, but gave me a stern warning anyway and told me to get to class. 
but the only thing on my mind at that moment was finding Naoi. Had she been successful? <sighs> I searched the faces headed to class, but I didn't see her. Then there was this sound. Distant, but familiar. I looked toward the sound and saw a dark sandstorm eating up the daylight and quickly closing in on the school. Was it Auk? Oh, I had to find Naoi and make sure she was safe. I began running down different halls. A second bell rang. Late again. Oh, this might mean another detention. Then I entered another hall, and now that sound, which had been distant just moments ago, was right outside. I looked inside one of the classrooms and could see students running up to the window to see what was happening. The doors on both ends of the hall rattled furiously. Through the windows, I could see the outside world swallowed whole in a storm of black sand. It was him. I looked around and spotted a broom closet, ran in, grabbed a mop, and twisted off the bottom. It had been submerged in filthy water. Ugh. When I stepped back, I knew that something had changed, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Then I realized, somehow, the colors in the hall, the reds and yellows that made the walls and lockers look like an actual sunset, had been drained. Not completely. I mean, it wasn't black and white, but it had lost its pop. That's the only way I can really explain it. The doors suddenly stopped rattling. Then, blew open. Now he ran through. Aja fully extended. Her hood pulled over her head. Oh, thank God. I was never happier to see my best friend. But she wasn't looking at me. Instead, she was fixated on the stick I had in my hand. Yeah, that mop stick. Her voice shaking. She asked me what on God's green earth. I was thinking, he'll snap me right after he snaps that mop handle. Yeah, she was talking about Ock. Then she told me to get out of there and hide. And as she spoke, the dark fog swept over us. The roar of the wind was deafening and I couldn't see. Now I had suddenly vanished. I strained my eyes, searching, but she was, she was gone. Then I felt Naoi's hand on my shoulder, and even though it was trembling, my nerves were instantly calmed. Then I heard her say, stay behind me, and could only see the tiny lightning symbol blazing at the tip of her staff. A force blew us off our feet. It was so sudden and powerful that it knocked the wind right out of me. I scrambled, stumbling around blindly, trying to catch my breath. Where was Naoi? I'd lost her again. I called out to her, and the response was a voice in my head that didn't belong there. Or was it a voice? To this day, I'm not sure, but whatever it was, I could feel what it wanted me to know. That I'd never, ever see Naoi again. I later understood that this voice was the voice of Ak, and that he had the ability to literally get inside your head. His voice ignited something in me. 
it turned the fear that had filled every inch of my being to fury. It was like a fire ripping through me that burned out of control. I didn't care what happened to me anymore. I just knew that I needed to stop him from taking my Naoi. And suddenly, I could see him. Fiery eyes towering over me that pierced the darkness. The first thing I thought was that this was not a man. This was a force of nature. I was gripping the mop stick in my hands so tight that my fingers were trembling. Then I took all of the anger, fueled by Ock's voice in my head, and swung at Ock as hard as I could. Ock's giant hand caught it mid-swing, and the instant it made contact, the stick instantly turned to ash. A powerful wind blew those ashes right into my face. Ock took a step back and something materialized in his hand. It was a spear that looked like a hooked blade. This thing was at least a foot longer than me and composed of the same dark sand as Ock. With incredible speed and explosive power, he swung the blade. Inches before it struck my body, Naoi's staff whipped into its path and blocked it. There was a blinding flash. Naoi pushed me aside. So much sand and so much darkness, but I can remember glimpses of the fight. I remember seeing Aja, Naoi's staff, whipping through the darkness. It clashed with Ock's spear and, and they were dueling. At one point, my Naoi knocked Ock into the locker so hard that the building shook. I looked up. I remember thinking maybe the roof is going to cave in. Then, now he stumbled. Ock knocked her staff away and snatched her by the throat. I had to do something. I ran toward Ock, eyes closed, screaming for him to let her go. But the doors blew open again and something blurred past me, cutting me off. I thought I saw spots. Whatever it was, leaped into the air and ran Ock head first in the chest, knocking him on his heels. Now he broke loose, scooped Aja up from the ground, and I saw another powerful flash. Whatever it was that rammed Ock, rammed him again at that same moment. Then, I saw a section of the wall behind Ock disappear, giving way to darkness. That darkness began to churn like a whirlpool, and Ock was being pulled in. With lightning speed, Ock transformed into a swarm of dark sand blasted out of the hallway. Within moments, the daylight had returned and the colors had gone back to normal. Standing near the wall that almost swallowed Ock was Safina, gripping the Ock on her necklace firmly. It was still glowing. She'd opened the portal to the prison, but as always, Ock had managed to slip away. Nawi, completely spent, was leaning against, well, it looked like a cheetah. Naima? No way. For one thing, this cheetah wasn't chubby and in fact was bigger than any cheetah I'd ever seen on TV. Taller than a full-grown man and as muscular as a lion without an ounce of fat. As creeped out as she was by Safina, Naoi definitely didn't mind her sudden appearance. 
But she asked her how she knew. Safina looked at the cheetah and smiled. She said, after Naima knocked Nawi's bedroom door off its hinges and ran out, she knew that something must be wrong. I still couldn't believe it. This was Naima? Nawi hugged the giant cheetah and told her she had to go back before she was seen. The giant cheetah gave her a sloppy lick on the cheek, and as the doors to classrooms began to open, took off, blazing past me so fast that it almost dragged me along in its wake. Aja shrunk back to a twig, and Nawi stumbled over to me. She collapsed onto me, wrapping her arms around my shoulder. Mm. Safina gave her a quick nod, stepped backwards, and vanished through a wall. As other students and teachers came out to survey the damage and the days of disbelief, Nawi and I exchanged a long, meaningful look. She'd held her own against Ock, something I had no doubt that she could do. But there was something I was having trouble figuring out. Why would the right hand of a god come after a half-human 14-year-old member of the Lightning Tribe? Oh, what a first day. Next time, two weeks from today, me and Naui go after Ock.